Uh, if you've been around for the last, I don't know, month and a half or so, we are in a series that we've titled A New Way to Be Human. You guys enjoying it? Oh, yeah, a few of you? Yeah, it's challenging. Not all of us are enjoying it. What we're talking about here this morning is spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, rules of life, or simply what Jesus called the way. And these disciplines are spiritual formations. They're given to us in order to create rhythms in our life that actually brought some sense of disruption upon meeting and becoming to be followers of Jesus, this much-needed disruption of what it looks like to be human. They are not for our salvation but they're played out from the salvation that we've received in Jesus Christ. And one of the quotes that I bring up time and time again, and it can get flashed up here, is from Foster, Richard Foster, the book that we're going through in celebration of disciplines. And he says, the disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where he can work within us and transform us. And really, that is our ideal here this morning. That is our ideal with this whole series and going through these disciplines is that this would get us into the ground and we'd see God actually transform and work in our lives. That as we pursue Jesus because we are citizens of heaven, we've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness, brought into a kingdom of life, that we would live in that way. And we've moved into what we call the outward disciplines. There's a chart up here. We already discussed the inward disciplines of prayer, fasting, study, meditation. If you look at what Jesus said about these different things, he mentioned them in ways that we do them quietly in our closets, that we're spending time with God in those ways. And we've moved to this outward action of submission, service, solitude, simplicity, things taking place on the outside. Interestingly enough, you'll notice that Michael's got that little dotted line there just because they're on the outward. And I'm sure it's for separation, but it plays in really well, Michael. These outward disciplines are also things that are transforming the inside of our hearts. As we're going to see this morning and talk about solitude, solitude is not just something that you physically go and do, but there's a solitudeness of the heart that gets to go with us. Let me read this to you this morning from Richard Foster. Solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place. Let this seep into you. Solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place, a physical location. There's a solitude of the heart that can be maintained at all times. This is what you want. This is what I want. This is what we desire. Crowds or the lack of them have little to do with this inward attentiveness. Whether alone or among people, we always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. We always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. Anybody there yet? Yeah, me neither. Me neither. This is a very challenging study for me to give because out of all of the disciplines, it's probably the one that I struggle with the most. That and fasting. Fasting's tough. I like food. Discipline of solitude is incredibly difficult, but absolutely necessary in our lives. 
you just take a, a day out of my life, I tend to often go to bed a little too late. And even when I get up a little earlier than all of my family, my feet hit the ground already running. Though I may sit on my couch in the morning, my mind is already flooded with everything that needs to be done in that day. I sit down with my coffee in hand and scriptures open, wanting to receive from Jesus. All the while, the busyness of my mind is constantly occupied with how I'm going to run from either meeting to meeting or phone call to phone call or need to need with even in my own family or the problems going on in life around me. And with all of my heart's desires and wants to sit before God and to receive from the Spirit what the Spirit might speak to my life, I live at this hurried pace. Anybody else? But you're just thinking, how am I going to accomplish everything that is before me? And what happens then is there's this inner voice. Uh, We talked a while back on how you are the most influential person in your life. Whether you verbalize it or not, you talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to you. You talk to yourself more than anybody talks to you. In psychology, it's known as self-talk, right? Constantly telling ourselves a narrative, how that meeting went, how that conversation went, how meeting those new people went. Are they going to accept me? Are they going to like me? Was it successful? Was it fruitful? And all of these thoughts begin to barrage us. They come in at us. They're all over us. And we're wondering, how am I going to accomplish everything I need to do in this life? And life can feel a little bit like a merry-go-round at times. You've hopped on, and you've got the sixth grader as a third grader on there just spinning you like crazy. And they won't let you off. And there's going to be a holy pushback this morning. There's going to be something that is so contrast to our culture that maybe it's just crazy enough if we engage in it that it might work. See, our problem in this day and age is what we might call the hurried life. That we can't even begin to slow down in the moments to enjoy them. How many of you, when you finally get vacation, actually need three or four days to enjoy your vacation? Why? Why can't we just step into it? I needed an 18-hour car drive to actually finally step into vacation, right, hon? So where I finally relaxed, came down from all the busyness of life, and then could engage in the craziness of Disney, which, yikes. <laughs> That's all I'll say. How was my trip? Yikes. All right? Our problem is this hurried life, and then how we handle this hurried life. What most people do with the hurried life, because it gets so busy and problematic, is they turn to ways to escape it. How many of you want to escape the problems of this world? Man, I sure do. (laughs) I don't really want to live in a continued state of fallenness, brokenness, hurt, harm. During pre-gathering prayer this morning, as we went through that time of repentance, just thinking through, where have I personally offended and hurt others? Where has my family corporately hurt and offended? And I'm praying to God and confessing these things and going, this is terrible. 
I don't want to live in this state. But what most humans do because of their problems, because of busyness, because of bosses barreling down at them, they turn to escapism as ways to get away from the pressures of this world. And escapism in our day and age typically consists of hours upon hours of Netflix, alcohol, video games, any other types of media or social media, and we're looking at ways to fulfill our mind and our life and our days in order to forget the problems that the world has set before us. So I was researching this. The average person, the average person, what do you think, spends two hours a day on their phone? Mm -mm. Three hours a day on their phone? Mm -mm. Four and a half hours a day on their phone. Four and a half hours a day. 70% of people, when they're bored, you order your pizza at Papa Murphy's, you're standing in line, other than looking around, considering what's going on, what does everybody do? Pulls that thing out. Why? Because we're a culture now that loves noise, that has to fill the vacancy of our mind, that does not allow for any kind of letdown. This is incredibly, incredibly problematic for us. And what Jesus suggests for us today is that there is an inner peace. What Jesus offers for us today is there a reality that you can actually press into and enter into. If you take the average person, we'll say irreligious or non-religious, when they go through difficulties and problems and trauma in their life, they're looking for ways to escape. And in order to escape in our culture, they're looking for ways to fill their thoughts, their minds, their hearts with something, probably not God, in order to numb the effects that the world has caused on them. So they grasp for sexuality, they grasp for politics, they grasp some even for religious rules. They're trying to find ways to fill the void in their life. And Jesus offers us something very contrast. He says, if you want to find strength, if you want to find hope, Yes, you Christian who's been filled with the Spirit, who still has tension and problems and issues, I have something for you, and it's in this area of solitude. Here's my definition of solitude as we get into this. Solitude is the inner reality of quieting yourself. It's then expressed in an outward mode of actually seeking out solitude. An inner reality an inner place, as Foster talked about, of quieting yourself that then is also expressed in physically seeking it out. Now, some scripture. Did Jesus believe this? How did Jesus teach this? Did Jesus actually push back against the hurried life? The answer is yes. There's two things Jesus did. Number one, he practiced it. Number two, he invited others into it. We're gonna look at some scripture. Luke 5, verse 16. Jesus had just healed this leper, cleansed them. Everybody's excited. The crowds are bustling. There's energy around Jesus. My mentality would be like, let's 
capitalize on this Jesus. You've come, you've healed. Let's continue this parade of who you are and that the king has come. But what does he do? It says in verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The crowds were gathering, verse 15 says. They drew near to him. And instead of engaging them, what they desired, what they wanted, it says that he actually withdrew to spend time alone with the Father. If you flip over to Mark chapter 1, as you can see up there, we got lots of verses in here. And we look at verse 35. Jesus has been preaching in Galilee. Verse 37 says, Everyone is looking for him, but in verse 35 it says, And rising early, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place to pray. In Matthew 14, 13, we see that in times of grief, I won't turn to it for lack of time, but Jesus gets away to pray in Luke 6, 12 through 13, before he makes these decisions on choosing the 12 disciples that are going to walk closely with him, that he's going to share the inner workings of his life, that he's actually going to commission to go and do and fulfill the ministry after his death and resurrection. He breaks away to pray, to get away from the busyness of society and life. And in Luke 22, 39 through 44, before he would go to the cross, he's in a garden and he invites some of his disciples with him. And there he's with them, but separates himself and he begins to pray, Father, if possible, take this from me as he's alone. Jesus consistently practiced getting away. Now there's two ways to teach in life. There's direct teaching. That's something that's taking place right now, me to you teaching, talking, I'm giving information. You might be ignoring it. You might be taking it in. You might jot some notes down. I have no idea what you're doing with it, but we're practicing direct teaching. But there's indirect teaching that happens in life. How many of you taught your children to talk? I I didn't. My children just one day started saying, mama, dada, food, right? They begin to string together sentences. I never sat down and directly showed them how speech and so much teaching can happen indirectly. And what we do with the scriptures and when we gather as a church, we tend to like to take the teachings of Jesus and reteach those teachings, which is good and right to do. But there's so much indirect teaching that the Gospels display for us and just how Jesus put himself on display, how he acted, what he did, that we're actually to take note of and go, maybe there's something to the way Jesus is conducting himself. Maybe that's why he had the strength to minister and to care and love for others. And so one of the things Jesus practiced often was solitude, silence, getting away. Also in Mark 6, 31 through 32, we'll read this to you. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. He says, get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus is inviting his disciples into getting away from the busyness, getting away from teaching, getting away from all the chaos and everything going on. He says, I want you to come to be filled, 
to find strength to have rest. And what I hope you hear this morning is there is a freedom to being alone. There is a freedom. How many of you fear loneliness? Liars. (laughs) Thanks, Landon. (laughs) When I'm alone for too long, I hear my thoughts. I hear my voice. I hear how I think about myself. I actually also hear past emails, past accusations, past problems. I begin to think about how I mishandled such I fear, to a degree, being alone. Now, as an introvertish person, I do get filled up when I'm alone, so I can resonate with this teaching. As an extrovert, this is going to be great for you to hear because we talk about community so often. To hear, no, actually, you need to come away and be alone for a little bit. The reality is it's okay to be alone. Most people fear, at least inwardly, loneliness. And Jesus is inviting us into this, and it's not in order just to be away from people, but in order to hear the divine whisper of God better. This is why it's good to be alone. Jesus lived inward, this heart solitude, and he also expressed it outwardly. So this morning, I just want to define solitude and silence for us, and this is so unsettling for the current culture in America. This right here is going to be the biggest pushback I can give this morning to our society to invite you into a life that says you need to get away. You need to slide the phone away. Husbands, you need to give your wife or church, if there's single parents in here, we need to find ways to give them opportunity to actually have some silence and solitude in their lives because they go from work to kids, from work to kids, and it's constant. And there needs to be an ability to actually sit quietly, break away, and hear from God. Silence has external and internal factors. External silence is no noise. Let's give it a shot. I fear if I go any longer, you're going to get awkward. (laughs) Right? We'll have to break it. Not many people live this way. How many of you have an Alexa in your house? And the music's constantly going. Or headphones or teachings, or the Bible maybe even being read out loud in your house. How many of you have children? My kids are talking a lot right now. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) It was so nice. We left Las Vegas at 2.30 a.m. and drove home, and the first, like, six hours of my trip was almost silence. It was the quietest it had been in weeks. It's good. It felt great. We constantly have noise, the dishwasher humming, the dryer going. We have dogs barking. We live in a busy culture, a busy society. The TV's on external noise. So silence would be no external noise. But how many of you have internal noise? I like how John Mark Comer puts it when he talks about the internal factors. That is the mental noise that never shuts up. Does your inner voice ever shut up? thinking, it's processing, it's moving. And we never really create the space because of constant self-talk. For better or worse, the internal conversation we're having with ourselves. So when we talk about silence and we talk about solitude, 
I'm talking about a place that we enter into in which we're shutting those things down in order, listen, in order not to be zen, not to kind of like cross our legs and sit there like this and to empty our minds, but in order to hear from God himself, to be in a posture of listening. Now, when we talk about solitude, it's fairly straightforward. It is not isolation or loneliness. Those are punishments. If your kid's hitting another kid, you often take them and put them in a corner to be alone, to be isolated. That is a form of punishment. Loneliness is not healthy. America has a loneliness problem. Isolation, yeah, at times it sounds great, but when forced upon you, not healthy, not good. Solitude is a willful choice to break away in order to hear and receive from God. To refrain from speaking, to put yourself in a place where you actually might hear what God wants to speak to your life. Foster says, without silence, there is no solitude. Though silence sometimes involves the absence of speech, it also involves the act of listening. This is what separates what Jesus talks about and what the scriptures teach from a lot of other religious beliefs or psychology, this idea that we actually sit to listen to hear, to receive. Simply to refrain from talking without a heart listening to God is not silence. There's a man 400 years ago. His name was Blaise Pascal. Anybody heard of him before? You have Pascal's wager that is often talked about when it comes to Christianity. And Pascal, what he's most famous and known for is this. If what I believe about God is true and you disbelieve what I believe about God, if I'm right and you're wrong, you have a lot to lose. If you're right and I'm wrong, if your irreligious beliefs about God are right, that he doesn't exist, or atheistic, or agnostic, he's there but you cannot know him, or universalism, if you're right and I'm wrong, I don't have nearly as much to lose. That was Pascal and what he was known for. But there's this little quote he says that I think is incredibly important for our culture today. I'm going to have you throw that up there. I know it's at the end. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room. (laughs) Wow. That's a sweeping claim. Very, very large. If we could just quiet ourselves, settle our souls, and hear from God what might actually be said. With this opportunity to open our lives up to him, we live in a busy world, and it's dangerous because busyness has filled your soul. And many of us are soul-tired. We're soul-weary. And what we're all hoping for is some ultimate rest that we find in Jesus. Lord, come quickly, return. But, But until then, What can we practice? We can practice entering into that rest by actually getting away and being with God. In silence and solitude, in this privacy with God, we have this friendship with him, with the actual God of the universe. And solitude drives us into deeper worship of God. C.S. Lewis, he said, we live, in fact, in a world starved for solitude, silence, and privacy, and therefore starved for meditation and true friendship. We desire this. Busyness 
has overcome our lives, and we think it's the way to achieve success, to be fruitful, to be happy, to be healthy, climbing the ladders, doing whatever it takes. And Jesus says, no, there's a holy pushback I have for your life, and I want you to break away and spend time with me. What does this look like? When I was 20-something, I was offered this killer job. Um, I had been working at a church in Bend with my brother and started a youth group, which was fantastic and great. But before then, I went to a Bible college in Maui, just a terrible place to go to Bible college. Horrible, let me tell you. And I had made some bit of an impression apparently there because a couple of years later, the Bible college called me and offered me a position to be the dean of men. Now, I just got to tell you something. If you're 20-something and you're the dean of people who are 20-something, um, ask Michael Watson how that goes because I denied the job and he took it. So, <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> He'll tell you all about how it went. But in order to come to a conclusion on whether or not I was going to walk into this job, I packed up my Jeep Cherokee at the time, and there was this free campground there at the base of Smith Rock. I don't know if it exists anymore or not. It's kind of at the far end of Smith Rock. And I went out into the wilderness with some water and food for the next day, and and I got myself out to a very quiet place. Lord, I want to hear from you on this. And the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so, I was bored out of my mind. Anybody else? Like, I'm going to get together with you, God. I'm going to hang out. And then you go, well, this is a terrible practice. <laughs> like, I need some instant word from you. And it took hours for my heart to actually settle in. And I can remember this. God never spoke to me. I was disappointed. And I remember feeling that feeling of disappointment, and I was kind of looking around and enjoying the creation I was in. I was reflecting on my life, enjoying the place I was in, and I just remember hearing God lay on my heart. This is like right before I'm ready to leave. You like these things? It's great. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And it was not the answer I wanted. It was not the answer I was looking for, but by actually getting away and sitting in quiet before God, processing, thinking, taking in all that was around me, allowed for me to think and respond to what I believe God had laid on my heart. See, in getting away, we can quiet our souls to actually begin to think, what does God want? What does God desire? So I have so much more that would be great for you guys in here, but I want to finish with this. So we look at solitude this morning. Solitude is a pushback against your anxious, busy life. The difficulty of solitude, the difficulty of wanting to actually break away and spend time with God is that nobody around you is going to understand it. Your boss is probably not going to be chill with it if you say, you know what, I need an extra hour to just not come in and spend time with Jesus. Your kids are going to be demanding and pressing, and it's going to be incredibly difficult to find time, moms, to leave the three-year-old inside as you fit, sit on your you know, favorite stump outside your house or chair or whatever. I understand the difficulty. So I get the business side of solitude is tough because in our day and age, if you don't answer your phone, they go to the next contractor, the next lender, the next agent, the next whoever because everybody wants instant help now. 
This is the world we're living in. But I will tell you as a pastor and as a friend, what our souls deeply crave is solitude. It's breaking away from it all and stepping back and quieting down and asking God, what do you want to do? And nobody in the world will get it. As Jesus famously said, some people out there, you're going to gain the whole world, but in so doing, you forfeit your soul. Now, there's two ways in which we can apply that scripture as we think about it. One way is in which Jesus is talking about, look, you need to surrender and submit to me. But even within that, You can gain the whole world as a Christian, a follower of Jesus who's secure in Christ. You can busy your soul with the things you think matter. You can engage in all kinds of activity, both good and bad. All the while, your soul is inching away because it's not filled, because it doesn't take time to know God deeply. And then you miss opportunity with family, and 30 years later, you're going back and apologizing to your children for all the lack of time because you gave them stuff but not yourself. And this is probably a sticking word for many of us because there's some things that some of you can head off now that an older generation would probably love to speak into your life. And there's others of you I'd say, it's not too late. Begin to pull away, to say no to even good things because your soul needs to find rest in Jesus. You need to step back and he's inviting you in to a place of quietness to hear from him. So how would this look in our lives this morning? I want to invite you into this practice. First and foremost, when you get time, don't waste it. I used to counsel at camps for fourth through sixth grade, middle school, and high school. And we'd always give after a teaching this like 20-minute time of go find a quiet place and sit before God. And there's always... 90% of the kids, they would walk around for 15 minutes and then sit for five. Like, where's the special place to meet with Jesus? Or where's the best spot? And you look at your watch and it's gone. Even as adults, we do this. I've set aside 30 minutes in the morning for Jesus. But I'm going to do this during that 30 minutes. I'm going to do that during that 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, our 30 minutes is gone and we've wasted our time. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time a space, have a place that you go to daily in rhythm where you spend time with him. I want to invite you to ease into it. As you can see up there, um, I had originally put 10 minutes of each of those things. Michael goes, "Mm -mm." (laughs) he goes, let's ease into this. What would it look like daily? Spend five minutes of reading the scriptures, three minutes of just quiet, God, what do you want to say? And then three minutes of, now I'm going to pray about those things. Five minutes of reading. Three minutes of, God, how are you going to move in my life? How or what do you want to do in my life, in somebody else's life? Meditating on the words, sitting silent, praying that in to our lives. And then I would also invite you, maybe once a month, to find a chunk of time, an hour, three hours if you can, to get away. And to just sit before God for listening prayer, responsive prayer. What is responsive prayer? After listening to God, it's the ability to read scripture and see how God responds to our hearts and then to reflect on answered prayer that God has done in your life.
And if you are able to give, if you're married, your spouse time to do this, the generosity to do this, find ways to do this in each other's lives. G.K. Chesterton wrote this, and I'll leave you with it. The Christian ideal has not been found, excuse me, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. What's he saying? He's saying practices like this, if you participate in them, they will be filling. They will be life-giving. But the reality is for many of us, they've been found difficult to do, therefore we don't try them at all. Yeah, right, Brett. How can I have time to break away, to find solitude? Listen, it's there, I promise you. God has granted it to each and every one of us. We have the same clock, the same hours. And he invites you to slow down and to push back against the hurried, busy pace of our culture. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today and your mercy and your kindness. I ask for those that are hearing this this morning via online, in person, that we would actually commit in our hearts to just start slowly breaking away with you and that we'd find strength in it and hope in it. That we'd take courage to push back against the busyness of culture and the busyness of schedule. That we would take walks or bike rides to just be before you and be still in those ways, stilling our minds. And we find inner rest and peace because we physically seek it out in our lives. Come before us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to invite you into a time of just reflecting as Michael leads us in song. The communion tables are open. Joel's going to come up and lead us in communion in just a moment. There's an offering box to give to what God is doing here. But take a moment. Even here in the space, Jesus got away in groups. And they were silent. And they were quiet sought God, even with others around them. That can be attained. That can be had. Let's pursue that.